0: There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. How do you pick one for your sermon? Where do you start? The answers to those questions today are provided by Charles Spurgeon as we look at his book, Lectures to My Students, specifically the chapter titled, On the Choice of a Text. For Spurgeon, the selection of the passage or the Bible verse for the week's sermon was a major part of his sermon preparation. And indeed, finding that perfect verse, that one that you know should be your next sermon text, finding that one verse can be a Herculean task, perhaps even more difficult than the actual preparation of the sermon, the actual sermon writing. So how can we assure ourselves of victory in this weekly battle? Spurgeon gives us the answer, and I share with you seven lessons uh, from that chapter in his book, uh, the chapter titled, On the Choice of a Text. The first lesson is that the choice of a text should be an important matter. It would be highly irresponsible for any preacher to go about his sermon writing with sort of a nonchalant attitude. Spurgeon said, I hope we all make it a matter of very earnest and serious consideration every week what shall be the subject upon which we shall address our people on Sabbath morning and evening. For although all Scripture is good and profitable, yet it is not equally appropriate for every occasion. Spurgeon continues to show how important it is to choose an appropriate passage by sharing uh, in that chapter in his book several comical examples of what not to do when it comes to choosing a text passage for your sermon. For instance, he said, "...most manifestly idiotic was he who selected, "'Judge not that ye be not judged.'" for a sermon before the judges at an assize. Secondly, avoid preaching the same sermons over and over. Spurgeon notes, There are persons in the ministry who, having accumulated a little stock of sermons, repeat them ad nauseum with horrible regularity. As we, my brethren, hope to live for many years, if not for life, in one place we have need of a far different method from that which may suit a sluggard or an itinerant evangelist. So as pastors, we need to be careful that we don't have a stockpile of sermons that we regurgitate or recirculate over and over again. Of course, sometimes it's beneficial and even good to reuse a sermon if it's appropriate, but it needs to be the exception to the rule and not the rule. Some preachers are one-trick ponies. They scour the Bible from cover to cover, and yet, for whatever reason, they seem to still only preach on about two or three of their same favorite topics over and over again. Beware of that trap. Third, don't feel bad if you struggle with finding the right text passage for your next sermon. This is a common struggle. In fact, for many, it is a continual struggle. It is a struggle that is one of the very characteristics of pulpit ministry. On this, Spurgeon himself admitted, I confess that I frequently sit hour after hour praying and waiting for a subject and that this is the main part of my study. So be encouraged in this, that that you're not alone if you feel that you every week wrestle with what to preach about, what text passage the sermon should come from. This weekly battle with sermon writer's block is no evidence that God hasn't called you. But understand that with this you have a similarity with Spurgeon himself and other great men of God today and those of yesteryear who likewise experienced that same week-to-week battle with choosing a text passage for the next sermon. Fourth, and To the root of the matter, how do you know when you found the right verse for the next sermon? The way Spurgeon answers this question is so good. I'm not going to give you my distilled version of his words. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph right for you from uh, this chapter on the choice of a text. Listen to what he says. What is the right text? How do you know it? We know it by the signs of a friend. When a verse gives your mind a hearty grip from which you cannot release yourself, you will need no further direction as to your proper theme. Like the fish, you nibble at many baits, but when the hook has fairly pierced you, you will wander no more. When the text gets a hold of us, we may be sure that we have a hold of it and may safely deliver our souls upon it. To use another simile, you get a number of texts in your hand and try to break them up You hammer at them with might and main, but your labor is lost. At last you find one which crumbles at the first blow and sparkles as it falls in pieces, and you receive jewels of the rarest radiance flashing from within. It grows before your eye like the fabled seed which developed into a tree while the observer watched it. It charms and fascinates you, or it weights you to your knees and loads you with the burden of the Lord. Know then that this is the message which the Lord would have you deliver. And feeling this, you will become so bound by that scripture that you will never feel at rest until you have yielded your whole mind to its power and have spoken upon it as the Lord shall give you utterance. Wait for that elect word, even if you wait till within an hour of the service, This may not be understood by cool, calculating men who are not moved by impulses as we are, but to some of us these things are a law in our hearts against which we dare not offend. We tarry at Jerusalem till power is given. The greatest part of our sermon study, then, is praying and praying for our sermons, not just praying for our sermons that they would do well, but praying for our sermons that, in the same way, we pray for daily bread. God, give me my sermon. Give me what to preach. And in this, we trust the Holy Ghost will lead us and direct us in all these things. Spurgeon quotes William Gurnall on this matter. He says, Ministers have no ability of their own for their work. Oh, how long may they sit tumbling their books over and puzzling their brains until God comes to the help. If God drop not down His assistance, we write with a pen that hath no ink. If any one need walk dependently upon God more than another, the minister is he. Number five, along with prayer, we are bound with much earnestness, as Spurgeon says, to use fittest means for concentrating our thoughts and directing them in the best channel. Here's what he means. Consider your congregation. Look at their struggles. Look at their sins. Uh, Look at the challenges they face. And with them in mind, pray for guidance as to what to preach about. Spurgeon cautions, though, that we should not do that and then tailor-make sermons for certain individuals in our congregation, but that we are to think of the congregation in general and then receive guidance from that as we pray to the Lord for help. Number six, if you're still struggling to find the starting point of your next sermon, Spurgeon encourages us to simply trust in God that He will give us what we need. Spurgeon says, if you trust in God, He will not. He cannot fail you. Now, if that sounds completely ridiculous and perhaps oversimplified, then I encourage you to get the book, Lectures to My Students. Read the chapter titled, On the Choice of a Text, and read Spurgeon's accounts of how God had... He he gives like two stories... Uh, perhaps three, of how God had providentially supplied for him the choice of a sermon text. The stories are amazing, uh, and they really are (laughs) encouraging. So if it sounds just completely ridiculous to you, I encourage you to read that chapter, read those stories, and see exactly what he means. Number seven, and lastly, along with praying and considering our congregation, Spurgeon encourages us to find our sermon ideas by developing three habits, and here they are. The first habit is, of course, Scripture meditation. Be always in the book, always reading Scripture every day, and not just reading, but concentrating, and really learn to develop the ability to focus like a laser on a small passage until you've got it figured out and outlined and and, uh, uh, the next course of action in hand. The second habit we should develop is the habit of reading. Spurgeon especially recommends reading the Puritans. He said, reach down one of the Puritans and thoroughly study the work and speedily you will find yourself like a bird on a wing, mentally active and full of motion. And I recommend heartily this book by William Gurnall. I quoted William, actually Spurgeon quoted William Gernall earlier and I quoted Spurgeon quoting William Gernall. But the book is uh, titled The Christian in Complete Armor, and it's a large book. I think if you buy it today, usually it comes in several volumes. But Spurgeon called this book by Granol, the best thought breeder in our libraries. So if you want sermon ideas, read books written by men who were excellent preachers, pastors, and theologians, and you'll begin to feed into your mind fresh ideas and fresh insights that will help you in choosing the next sermon text. The third habit we should develop is the habit of always training ourselves for text-getting and sermon-making, as Spurgeon puts it. Never waste a minute of time, but always be on the ready to write down some verse or line of Scripture that has captured your attention. Spurgeon pleads, Students, I tell you solemnly, nothing will excuse you from the most rigid economy of time. It is at your peril that you trifle with it. He then recommends to us that we follow the example of one Thomas Spencer, who said, I keep a little book in which I enter every text of Scripture which comes into my mind with power and sweetness. So keep by you or even on your person a A small notebook of of sorts, Uh, doesn't matter what kind it is, I have here an abundance of small notebooks like these field notes that was given to me for a Christmas present, or even a scrap piece of paper, but always be uh, ready to write down uh, a thought or an idea or some sort of a sermon starter whenever you are inspired. We are to live our lives as preachers, always searching for sermon material. Every day, all day, looking for inspiration, looking for illustrations, looking for ideas. I close with this quote from Spurgeon. Always be thou, O man of God, foraging for the pulpit in all provinces of nature and art, storing and preparing at all hours. And to that I say, Amen.